To the whole community, David the king said, Solomon, my son, is the only one God has chosen, but he is still young and inexperienced, whereas the work uh, to be done is great, because the palace is not for anyone human, but for Adonai God. Now I have used all my strength to prepare for the house of my God, the gold needed for the articles of gold, the silver for the articles of silver, the bronze for the articles of bronze, the iron for the articles of iron, the wood for the articles of wood, onyx stones, gemstones to be set, brilliant stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, as well as marble in abundance. In addition, because my desire is set on the house of my God, since I have my own supply of gold and silver, I herewith give it to the house of my God, over and above everything I have prepared for the holy house, 99 99 tons of gold from the gold of Ophir and 231 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the houses. The gold is for whatever is to be made of gold. The silver is for whatever is to be made of silver. And they may be used for anything to be made by craftsmen. Therefore, who offers willingly to consecrate himself today to Adonai? But uh, today we're going to look at this passage in Chronicles. And uh, if you look in your bulletin, I, <coughs> I titled the, the message, Removing the Governors in Your Worship of the Lord. And some of you might, some of you might be wondering about that. Maybe some of you aren't, because uh, a governor is the head of a, you know, head of a U.S. state, right? The guy that runs the, man or woman that runs the, the state. Um, what's that? Well, wait, are you jumping ahead? It's also a mechanical term. It has to do with, it's a limiting, something that limits, uh, it can limit the gasoline flow into an engine or, or, or you know, all kinds of different things that can limit the idea of governing or, or limiting or choking. And that's the idea that I'm, I'm talking about today. So maybe some of you were wondering and some of you, sounds like you weren't wondering, you knew right away your mind went to governor in that respect. And the reason I, I uh, and actually, you know, I didn't never really knew what that term meant. <coughs> but I'm not an engineer like someone here in the front row, so maybe that's why. Um, but I remember one time um, I was at a beach, and we were there with some other people, and we, had, we were renting these, uh, these sea runners, you know, these wave runner, sea do kind of things. And this one guy was just literally, we couldn't catch him. He could just come and go as he pleased. We couldn't catch him, and, you know, he could just catch us at will. And, and it was just very frustrating and come to find out, he had bribed the guys at the, at the, on the shore, gave him like 10, 20 bucks to remove the governor from his sea-do. I didn't know what that was at the time, but apparently, you know, you remove the governor, you could go a good bit faster uh, with his sea-do, because we, we were limited, we were choked down and with regard to our speed, and he wasn't. So that's kind of where, you know, that's where I learned what the term governor meant. And I wanted to use it as, our, as our, sort of our word picture for today, for these, you know, these, these mainly these five verses here in Chronicles, with the the thought that you know this is an example of, that David's giving us. So we're going to go through the passage and kind of look at what David is doing here, what he's saying, what he's expressing, and I'll consider those as sort of the gold standard benchmarks in terms of of uh, worship of the Lord and service of the Lord. And we'll get into some of those details. And this is sort of a self evaluative thing, evaluative thing where, you know, 
each one of us today is going to have an opportunity to sort of measure ourselves against some of these standards that I think David lays out for us here that are pretty incredible to see in what areas, you know, if we're not measuring up in a sense somewhere, that to consider that these are things that are actually governing our worship, are governing our effectiveness, choking off our effectiveness uh, in our worship of God. So that's kind of the word picture that I want to want to run through today as we look, look at these things. Things that limit, based on these, things that, these, these examples that David gives. So just a little bit of the immediate um, context for, this, for what was read today, and this is, this is uh, uh, we'll look back a little bit in chapter 28, but some of the immediate context, what's going on here, if you're, if you're not familiar, is that uh, you know, David is nearing the end of his, of his rule, and he, is, uh, he realizes that he is not going to be the one to build the temple for the Lord, and so he's commissioning Solomon to do that. So he's kind of turning over things to Solomon, he's announcing that to everybody, and that's the immediate context of, of this passage. We see in chapter 28, he goes through all of these details. Uh, I mean, we've heard a few here even in chapter 29, but all of these details with regard to the building of the temple. If you have your, your Bible there, you can see starting right around uh, verse 11 in chapter 28, he talks about he gave Solomon the plans, the plans for the portico, the plans for the treasuries, the plans for the rooms, the chambers. He gave him the weights of the amount. You know, you're going to make gold bowls, and here's how much they're going to weigh. Uh, here's how much the, the, the lamp stand is going to weigh that you put the, the candles in and so forth, and all of these incredible details. And there are two verses in particular uh, that are important, I think, for what we're going to talk about today uh, with regard to context, and that's uh, verses 12 and verses 19. And if you look at those two verses... Uh, this is in chapter 28. This is David speaking. He said, he gave him, Solomon, the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind. Okay? And even more specific in verse 19, and, and, and this is, you know, you talk about uh, inspiration of Scripture and so forth. In verse 19, it says, all this, in other words, all these details, of the weights of the pictures and the weights of the altar and all this stuff, he said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me. And he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. So <clears throat> what I want us to see here is that this, this was built according to God's pretty specific specifications, very deliberate specifications. And pe- you know, people point to these verses as this is amazing. This is, this is inspired plans and so forth. <clears throat> so that's the, that's the immediate context uh, that we find ourselves in from what, what Penny read today in verse 29. So kind of going back to, to what she read, right here at the beginning, he says, My, so- my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the task is great. The task is great. So why is the task great? Is it great because of all of these minute details that, that God, it, you know, in, through the Holy Spirit, inspired David to write and wrote down? Is that the reason that the task is great? No. I mean, it's pretty an amazing task, but I think we, when we finish the rest of the sentence that Penny read, we see it. the reason it's great is because uh, it says this, my translation here says, this palatial structure is not for human beings, but for the Lord. I'm not sure what your translation might say several things. It might say this temple, uh, but the word there is actually a word for castle or palace or fortress. Don't think, don't think religious structure here. Don't think building, quote, you know, congregational building, synagogue, church building, whatever. Don't think structure there. The picture I want you to think about is that this is um, 
This is the palace. This is, where, this is where God lives. This is where he must be visited, where he must be worshipped. This is his house, in other words. You know, this is, this is where he lives. Think about that for a minute. Think about for a moment. Let your mind wander a bit, not too far, but uh, let your mind wander just a bit. Think about maybe the nicest home you've ever seen, the ni- absolute nicest house. Maybe you have actually visited it. Maybe you saw it on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You ever remember that show? Robin Leach, yeah? Maybe MTV Cribs for where's Dean? Some young people in here, you know, something like that. Um, think about the nicest house you've ever seen. Think about what kind of the you know was it the size of the house that impressed you? Was it all the finishes? Was it thinking, oh my goodness, imagine maintaining this house, keeping up with it, uh, whatever it might be? I saw a movie recently called The Butler. Anyone seen The Butler? Forrest Whitaker. It's uh, an Oprah Winfrey in there. It's a, it's basically chronicles the story of. Uh, kind of two things going on at once. It chronicles the civil rights movement in the United States, uh, particularly African-American civil rights movement and challenges and, and so forth. But it, it's set against the backdrop of this guy who basically uh, left slavery in the South and, or s- southern Georgia in the late 20s. And learned, he knew how to do domestic work, and he made his way north. And eventually, he was really good, and he got recruited to work in the White House. It's called the butler. So he's, he's a butler in the White House. And so it goes through, so it's set against, you know, it's, it kind of goes through his experience with the different presidents throughout the civil rights movement um, and, and, and what he saw and so forth. But in there, you see all these details about what it's like to be a butler in the White House and how the White House operates. And believe me, it's a pretty uh, complex operation. I mean, they, they dress in tuxedos and white gloves, and he's got to be seen but not too present. He's got to be there with the food, but don't get in the way. He's got to be there, but not listen. Things have to be the right... All these things. It's amazing the details that go into running that house. And that's the house, I would argue, or it could be argued for sure, that that's one of the most influential, powerful people that lives there in in the whole world, right? The the President of the United States, um, arguably one of, if not the. But that's nothing in comparison to what David's saying here with regard to this being God's house. I mean, that's the president. That's the White House. This is God's house here. That's why the task is great. And that's kind of the first stop I want to I stop at here to talk about a, a potential governor, a potential thing that, that chokes out our, our worship and our service to God. And that's just the, the simple realization that we miss that, that it's God's house and that it's made, should be made according to God's specifications. Because what do we do? You know, I think we often try to make things the way, according to our specs, you know? We have a certain way we think things should run, the way things, certain things should be, right? And that's how we, we try to w- conduct ourselves in our worship of God. And, and the first thing I want to look at with regard to opening up and maybe lessening our restriction is to realize that this is not this. I say this, Yeshua Tzion, think about your, your, your life in general, the idea of, of God's house, wherever you worship God, that it's His house, built according to his specifications and not yours. And so with that, you know, let's, we talk about inviting God in, and Chaim often talks about this idea that we have these plans, we make these plans, we have these grand specifications we like, we want to do things like, and then we ask, then we, okay, we've got it all settled, and we ask God, now we pray to God, right, that he would bless this effort. But we want to flip it around and realize this is his house, it's made in according to his specs, let's not just invite him in, but let's ask for his leading, for his guidance, for his specifications. Whether you're going to get them in written form like David did, I don't know. But uh, the reality is that that is the reality, that it is his house. And the worship of him is his deal. And it's not ours. And, uh, you know, we need to keep our 
sometimes our expectations and our plans uh, a little more under wraps than we do. <laughs> um, so moving on, verse 2 here in chapter 29, David says, uh, at least again, my translation here says, with all my resources I have provided for the temple. With all my resources. Um, I'm not sure what your translation says there, but the, the Hebrew actually says, according to all my strength. Maybe yours says, if yours says strength, that's the real, that's the real, really what's being said there. It says, according to all my strength. All my strength. Think we say that every week in the Via Hafta, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. Or all your every, it's a different word there. The word there is actually the word for much or very. So with all your very muchness, just whatever that is, with everything, you know, not just your physical strength, it's just with all your very muchness. But here, all your strength, according to all my strength, David says. So this caused me to consider, okay, David's serving the Lord with all his strength. This challenges me, and I'll ask you as well. Are you all in? You know what all in means? <laughs> Just make, you know, you're, you're all in. You're not halfway in. You're not, you know, you're not all in with regard to your service. And we're talking about worship and service to God and how it might choke your effectiveness and choke you know, what we're doing for, for the Lord. Are you all in or are you holding back? Are you conserving some energy in some area of your life? Again, this is not, a, this is not accusation time. This is not judgment time. This is time for us to consider what we're doing in our worship and where there might be governors. Are you all in? Are you, are you conserving energy? Uh, are you elevating maybe other personal pursuits? You know, are you are you kind of compartmentalizing your life in a sense? I think about. I was recently I visited my in-laws, and my father-in-law, um, in his early twenties, he was an attorney in India, and he was he got really sick. I mean, sick to the point of death, and he uh, he was in a hospital. He was raised as a Hindu. So he wasn't a believer. Uh, he was a believer in many gods, um, and none of them seemed to be healing him. And he was really sick. And so he was in this hospital, and uh, there was a believer in Yeshua there who offered to pray for him. And of course, you know, he said, sure, why not? Another God, you know. <laughs> Anyways, the guy prayed for him, and he got healed. And my father-in-law basically made a decision there that this is the one God he's going to follow. And he, he followed him. He, he just turned his whole life around. He actually got a vision uh, of other of his fellow countrymen perishing vision and a dream and so forth. Anyways, long story is he started serving the Lord. He's been doing it for over 50 years now. And his, they had a lot of success. God, God has blessed the ministry there. He's, they've, they've planted congregations. They've trained thousands of native pastors and so forth. And he's, you know, he's sitting there talking to me. He's sitting on the edge of the bed talking to me this past time uh, when we were visiting him. He's all of five foot two, you know, and he's got this amazing work that the Lord's done through him. And he just said, you know, I, he said, I, um, I've given everything I have to the Lord. And everything I have is because of the Lord. It's just as simple as that. It wasn't any fancy, you know, this guy has spoken all over the world, and he just said, I've, I've given everything I had to the Lord, and everything I have is from the Lord, everything. So again, not, not judging us, but looking at, at David as that benchmark, looking at this idea of, of, of a serving the Lord according to all of your strength, all. Um, just identifying a potential governor, you know? Because we, we tend to compartmentalize our, compartmentalize our lives, don't we? Uh, it starts off from an early age, you know, you've got, you've got your infancy, Right? And then you've got your childhood, and then you've got young adulthood, whatever, and you're going to school all through there, and then you get your college, and then you enter the workforce. And then somewhere right around, you know, 30 to maybe 55, you know, people call that your earning years, right? This is your earning years, and this is, this is that period of your life, and you, you really make all your earnings in there so that you can then reach your, your golden years, right? Like our brother Aaron here, yes. 
their golden years where you can, you know, retire. And, and, that, and, and in a sense, that there's true, and there's definitely there's chapters of our life. But, you know, you look at David here. He was certainly in the, the, his twilight years. And what was he doing? He was, he was serving the Lord with all his strength. And um, it wasn't even necessarily something that, that he was going to be part of even, but he was still giving it his all. And so at this stop, I want to say, you know, again, let's, let's consider not compartmentalizing, but being all in with regard to our worship of God in an effort to release that potential governor. And when I read this passage, uh, and uh, I'd encourage you to read it again, you can read the several chapters here at the end of Chronicles. Um, one thing that I think is unavoidable, and one thing I definitely want to talk about today, is, uh, is giving. You can't avoid it in this passage, can you? I mean, the majority of this passage is talking about giving, giving from the, the treasuries. David talks about all the stuff, right? The Ophir, right, that, that uh, we talked about. There's a stone that, that uh, Penny talked about. Whatever all that stuff is, right? Silver and gold. But reality is, for us here in this room today, <coughs> this, is, this picture that we see here is, is about giving. Uh, cold, hard cash, right? Good old shekelim, American dollars, whatever you want to call them. So I want to talk about giving for a moment. Why do we give? Don't need to answer that, but think about it for a minute. I think there's a, probably some general categories, some reasons why we give. Sometimes there's a, a perceived need, right? Some practical reasons, perceived need, so we give. Um, sometimes we give because of, for a sense of fulfillment, you know? Kind of makes you feel good to, to give. Um, how about Obligation. Do we give out obligations sometimes? This is often, you know, at least in my experience, uh, where I, I see these, um, where we get into dueling scriptures, if you will, you know? So how much do, how much do we give, right? Because it's an obligation. Do we give 10%? We got on this, on this corner of this scripture, we've got the 10 percenters, right? The Malachi 3, and you bring a tenth, and that's what we give, right? 10%, and it becomes kind of like a, a bill, an obligation. I write it every month, and again, there's, there's good and bad to that, and we could talk about money and giving all day long. We're going to talk about it briefly here based on this example. But there's that 10%. We do it like a bill. Then there's the ones that, that and these are things I've, I've heard all through my, my time as a believer, that uh, no, 10% is the minimum, right? You give 10% of your gross income, and then above that, there's, there's offerings. You ever heard that? And so offerings, that's where the windows of heaven get opened up. You know, and so, so you get into this mindset of you give to get, right? Then, I come to a Messianic congregation, not here, but I heard this at another congregation, and I'm not saying it's wrong. You start looking at, uh, we, we look at the scriptures in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that talk about the tithe offerings and so forth, and you start adding all that stuff up, and that's, that scripture duels back and says, it's really when you add all those tithes up, you end up like around 23 to 26% is what you need to be giving. And that, 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 that's the oy vey, you know. I went, I went from writing a check to give to get to oy vey, 23, 26%. I mean, that's just, I can't do that. So, fortunately, fortunately, 2 Corinthians 9 comes to the rescue, right? Let each one give as he's decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Whew, right? That's a relief, because I was just at 23, 26% a minute ago. So that scripture comes in, and quite honestly, I, I really feel, and again, I'm making generalizations here, that that leads oftentimes just to an, uh, an attitude of stinginess. In other words, it's, a, it's sort of a license to, to not give, or I give, Michael mentioned today, giving your time, your talent, sure, and that's all true, but I'll just do that because I don't have any money to give. 
So, what percentage of our money are we supposed to give? Is Floyd in here? Good, because huh? he's not going to like my answer. What's the percentage of money we're supposed to give? How much of my money do I give? Zero percent. That's my answer. We are to give zero percent of our money, okay? Why is that? Well, hey, who answered? Who said that? You don't have any money anyways. That's the point. It's all God's money. Let's look at a couple of passages just after the section we read. First Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, First Chronicles 29, verses 14 to 16. It says, but who am I? This is David speaking. This is after he has given and everyone else gave on top of all the stuff he gave. He said, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Only what comes from your hand. Verse 15, we are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all, excuse me, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. So, that was the, that, that's why I say 0%. Because oh, here he comes. He's, he must have heard me, Floyd. He's upset. He's the treasurer, by the way. That's why I'm saying he's upset. So, the reality is we don't, we don't give anything of our money, right? Zero percent. It's all God's to begin with. And we certainly don't give to get. We see here in this passage that we, we get in order to give. That's, it, it's completely the opposite. We don't give to get. We get to give. And overall, the idea that I, that I when I read this passage, the, the, the thing that stood out to me so much in this passage when I read it, and the thing that I want to focus on with regard to the governor that might be limiting us, it's all that other stuff. That, is it 10? Is it 10 plus? Is it 23? Is it zero? The overall idea is that it's incalculable. We shouldn't be able to calculate what we give. I don't see any mention. When you read these five, these five verses here in, in Chronicles, David giving, I, I'm sorry, I don't, maybe I'm missing it. I don't see David gave 10% of his treasury. David gave 10% of the, you know, this, that, and the other. Or t- what the people. I don't see any of that kind of stuff. I don't see anything with regard to percentages. I don't see anything uh, based on any of those reasons I talked about that we give. Obligation. I don't see David saying, you know, appealing to that, you know, you've, you've got to do this, you know, or this is going to make you feel good, or we really have a big need here. In fact, when I read this, I'm kind of amazed because it looked like the kingdom was doing well. There was lots of stuff he gave out of the treasuries, and then he gave on top. Have you ever felt like, you know, I would expect the people to say, well, clearly there's plenty, you know, there's no need at all, you know. So it certainly has nothing to do with any of those things. Um, in fact, David gave... I, don't want, I want, definitely want to point this out. David gave his prized treasure. I don't know if Penny's translation said something different. I don't recall what her said. But he says that he gives his prized possession, his unique treasure. It's a very uh, specific word here. This is the word, uh, the Hebrew word segula, which is the, is the word that, that God uses when he describes the uniqueness of Israel. You will be to me a people, a valued possession, a, a, a tr- unique treasure. It's the exact same word there, segula. So David gave that. So when you look at that and you look at the fact that there was no need, there was no, you know, no obligation, um, what, was, I mean, it's, it's, what was it that David gave? There was no calculation, incalculable. You know, there was no calculation of percentages here for sure. So again, I'm, maybe I'm hammering that a lot, but because it spoke to me when I consider the benchmark, you know, this is, how, this is how David gave. This is, this is, this is the, a, a very good picture of giving. Um, and this is what it was. It was incalculable. And, and then at the end here, this is where he, really, he poses this, um, this final question, which is, like, that's why, why I wanted to, to stop at verse 5, because I feel like you know, he, David 
David says, here's what's going to be happening. Here's what was given. Here's what I put forward from the treasury, and here's what I put on top of that. Did David, you know, did David give everything he had? I don't know. We see he died. He enjoyed wealth all his life, it says, says later in the chapter. But after all this stuff, he says, look, here's what I've done. Now, who? Who, will, who else will, will now among you is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Again, my translation says willing to consecrate yourself. Um, hopefully everybody's got at least the word willing in there. This, this word willing... Um, is the same word where in modern Hebrew, the word for volunteer, someone who's a volunteer, it's the exact same word uh, in modern Hebrew. And the phrase there, willingly set themselves apart or willingly consecrate themselves, um, it's a bit of a what we call it an idiomatic expression. In other words, it, it's like it means something, but when you take the words by themselves, I'll just put it this way, literally the words say, who will willingly fill their hand to the Lord, or who will willingly fill their hand for the Lord. So we don't say that. I mean, the idea, the, the, the idea is that it's who will set themselves aside, who will consecrate themselves. But I think it's a pretty cool picture uh, to think about. Who, it's very personal, you know. Who will, who, will, who will willingly fill their hand this day to the Lord? And the application I want to end at here on this piece is that, in looking at the potential governor, is that there's really no line of distinction for David here. There's really no line of distinction with regard to his giving. There's no, this is mine, this is God's, because he gave, he gave all the stuff that was God's from the treasury. He gave his own personal treasure above and beyond that. And I think this is the attitude that, that we want to learn from David here, um, the attitude that can release us in our worship, you know, of him. And I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit later um, as, we, as I conclude and summarize. But I want to move on to the next, the next potential, actually the last governor that I want to talk about. And I've titled this, this governor, this potential limiting factor, this potential restricting factor in our worship of the Lord. And that is uh, what I'm going to call ownership. Okay? Ownership. Now, what do I mean by ownership? Um, I'll give you an example. Here's some questions that I, I hear, I've, I've heard in the past, posed to me or even others uh, who are kind of in the leadership of Yeshua Tzion. Um, again, this is not critique necessarily of anybody. Uh, do you guys have childcare on Wednesday nights? That might be a question, which we do now, by the way. Do they plan on selling Seder tickets at the door, or will it just be today? Okay? These are some questions I hear. You might say, yeah, what's wrong with those questions? <laughs> well, what I think is wrong with those is that it's, it's using language that distances us. There's no... Do you guys have, you know, if you're, and this is not, um, if you're a visitor or somebody, you know, that, that, that's one thing. But when you're part of the community, you're part of a congregation, even at your work, you know, if, you, if you're committed there and you're serving the Lord there, you switch from you guys to us and they to, to, to we. And it seems small, but the reason I bring it up is not to hit on a pet peeve I have about those kind of words. It's because I picked those up from this passage. If you look with me in verse 1, I'm sorry, uh, verse 2, and also verse 3, um, it's subtle. It's not, it's not, in verse 2, David mentions it once, and in verse 3, he mentions it twice. But I'll emphasize it for you. Here we go in verse 2. It says, With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. In verse 3, David says, Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. So, I, I saw this as, a, as, as something that spoke to me because, you know, the change of those 
of those words is important. Again, our, our language can, can distance us. It may seem like a small thing, it's subtle, but I think it's important. Because if you don't take ownership, again, I'm talking about ownership as a potential governor, if you don't take ownership um, when things get tough, you know, if this is not your community, when eventually you find the place where God has you, you know, wants you to commit and so forth, if it's not yours, what happens when things get difficult, you know? When it's always someone else's, when it's always the leaders or they or you guys, then when things get rough, you know, you might tend to run for the hills, you know? Maybe you, t- you might run to another, another leader, another they, another you guys. Uh, maybe you go to another congregation or you, maybe you end up at a home fellowship by yourself, for example. Um, so it's very important, I think, that we change and think about the way in which we, 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 we talk about our worship of God as our and my and us and what we're doing as a community. This ties into what Chaim's been talking about and will continue to talk about with regard to unity and building together. This is why one of the reasons I bring it up. And the other side of this, is that in a real sense, this is your congregation, but don't forget, who's the leader of this congregation? Yeshua. No, yeah, no one pointed at Chaim or me or Michael or Floyd. Yeah, Yeshua, God is, right? It's very important. So is it okay to, to love the people here? Is it okay to love the worship or the preaching when Chaim preaches uh, or, or some other aspect of who we are and what we do? Sure, that's fine. But to release the governor, to gain ownership, uh, you need to realize that in, in, a, in a real sense, you know, if not, I hope at some point in the future this is your congregation. And that there is one leader of the congregation, and that is, that is the Lord. And so that's who you serve, and that's who you turn to with regard to, to ownership. So, again, as we're unified, as we're, as we're working together, um, just to kind of summarize again, I want to go through these points one by one to look at the ways that we might be governing our worship as a result, and as a result, our effectiveness. So these examples from David. If you want to take notes, you can, but this is kind of the summary. Number one, this is God's house. Don't forget that this is God's house, not built according to our specifications, not built into the way we may necessarily like things or not like things. It's God's house. So we need to ask him, and I encourage you to ask him to show you where you might be taking over, trying to expect things according to the way you might like them or you know, taking over that responsibility from God. The reality is it's his house and it should be according to his specifications. So number one, it's God's house. Number two, give your all. Now, not all in the sense, this is not a, you know, empty your checkbook and put it in the pushka kind of, that's not, that's not the, now Floyd's mad again, see? He's saying, why not? Um, not in the sense you're all in that sense, but all in the sense of no line of distinction, okay? No line of this is mine, this is his, and this is when I do my work for God, and this is when I do my other work or what have you. No line of distinction in that sense. So ask him to release you of priorities, other things that might be getting in the way of your devotion to him and to his purposes, okay? So give your all. Number three, and this is in the, the realm of governors releasing things that are restricting our worship and our effectiveness. Number three, take ownership. Take ownership. It's your congregation. Yeshua's the head. We've said that. Use words like us and our and my when discussing your service to the Lord. Here at Yeshua, it's your own sure. That's where you are here, but wherever you're serving the Lord, it's us, it's my, it's our. This is more than just semantics. This is more than just, you know, uh, Say the right words. I'm not a, I'm not a you know, 
superstitious about, oh, don't say you're sick or name it and claim it, all this kind of stuff. I'm saying your, your words are important, but it's not just semantics. This has to be a core level. What comes out of you hopefully should be our and my and, and, and us. It happens, has to happen at a core level. So ask him to instill this, this in you. Take ownership. And number four, final summary point is uh, kind of related to the give your all because it just says, I just have give written here. Give. Number four, give. Okay? And this is, this, is a, this is a personal one. This is, again, this is one where we see, you know, battling scriptures, what's the right answer? But think about those things that talked about with regard to obligation, sense of fulfillment, uh, and so forth. And, and, and ask God to give you the proper perspective on how you are to give. And I'm specifically, you know, talent, talent and time, absolutely. But I'm specifically talking about money here because that's what this text is very clearly talking about here. David's getting ready to be an old man laying on a, on a, on a sofa after this shortly, you know. The reality is he's talking about giving money here. And so I think we all need to consider this. Uh, ask God to give us the proper perspective on, on what you've been given financially and to loosen your, 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 your mental grip on, you know, what's yours, what's his, and so forth. Again, this is, this is a personal thing, but it's very important. And again, this is, cause it's a lot of what David's talking about here. So give, that's the final point. God's house, give your all, take ownership, and again, give. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this, this great example that you've given us in your word, Lord. This great example of a, of a man who had so much. He had so much, yet he saw it all as a gift, as your gift to him, and he was, he was to give back in his worship to you. You gave it all to him so that he could give to you. And thank you, Lord, for being, or for not being, so far from us, that we don't know your plans, that you don't tell us your plans and your purposes for your house, Lord. Please help us to see the plans you have for your house and the specifications for your house, Lord, and the way you want us to worship you and conduct business here. Lord, we pray that you would instill a, a desire, instill in us a desire to serve and worship you with, with everything, with all that you've blessed us with, Lord all that you've blessed us with physically, all that you've blessed us with emotionally, financially, and spiritually, Lord. These things we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen.